welcome to Power Problems, a podcast from the Cato Institute where we offer a skeptical take on U.S. foreign policy and discuss some of today's big questions in international security with guests from across the political spectrum. I'm Emma Ashford. And I'm Trevor Thrall. We don't have a guest today, or rather, our guest is our host, Trevor Thrall. As some of you may know, Trevor is departing Cato after several years um, to spend more time doing other things. And we thought this would be a great opportunity for us to chat, to look back on power problems so far, um, and talk about what it's been like uh, to host a foreign policy podcast primarily during the Trump administration. Um, Trevor's going to share a couple of his favorite episodes, um, and then we're going to talk a little about what we think might happen over the next few years as we come out of this pandemic. So Trevor, welcome to your last episode of Power Problems. Uh, Emma, thanks for having me on. It's been a great run, and uh, it feels weird to broadcast your last episode, um, but I'm glad to know that it will carry on and I will listen uh, happily from the uh, cheap seats. Well, let's start with your favorite episode, right? So this is, I believe, episode 79. Um, we have been going for almost three years. So um, do you have a favorite episode or a couple of favorite episodes, and, and why, why do you like those so much? This is like asking someone to name a favorite child. I have 79 children and I love them all equally, of course. Um, but, you know, I think it's inevitable that some of the conversations kind of went, you know, in, in a way that just for whatever reason, you know, just tickled me or, or were just especially fun to have. And uh, I guess one of them that uh, comes to mind is the conversation we have with Bruce Gentleson about his book on on uh, leaders. And um, that was a really, really fascinating conversation because I don't study individual leadership very much uh, or maybe never is the right word. And, and, you know, I think I'm probably one of those people who thinks structure tends to matter more and, and big forces of history and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, but Bruce's book was really eye-opening about the impact of individual leaders. And he's such a good storyteller that it was really just a lot of fun, uh, to listen to him talk about, uh, what he'd learned. You know, that's one of my favorite things about, about doing this podcast is getting the opportunity to engage with smart people on things that they know a lot more about than I do, because I don't have the time to, to read up on everything. And so when we have people um, like Bruce or we have people on talking about arms control or, you know, weapons sales or all of these things that I don't have the time to study myself, um, I, I get to listen to them talk and be smart about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. The best part of podcasting is that we're the first of the audience. We're not the experts we're we're just the people sitting closest to the person who knows what's going on and it has been it's just been a blast so what do you think the most important topic that we've covered has been or or even a couple of topics um obviously there have been some repeating themes um so we've, we've spent a lot of time on foreign policy during the trump administration on grand strategy um but but are there topics that you've been uh, that you think were particularly important yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you, you noted in the intro that, you know, this this podcast kind of overlaps with the Trump administration. And so given that time in history, I think, you know, one of the most important topics, unfortunately, that we've covered is Trump himself um, over and over, even when we were talking about other things it often came back to him and his sort of mm, unprecedented approach to being president uh, and conducting foreign policy has certainly been one of the most important things we've talked about, but, um, you know, we've touched on so many important things. 
um, you know, n- nuclear weapons, uh, certainly up there for me, um, you know, maybe not as obvious, but I think, you know, you and I have written about and, and also have talked to people on the show about how the political parties are rethinking or trying to rethink foreign policy for the future. Um, you know, that, that struggle remains very much, uh, live and ongoing. And I think that's one of the most important things we talked about as well. Um, but you know, we could pretty much go down the list. I can't think of too many episodes where we talked about something that I would call unimportant. Well, perhaps that's the wrong way to to look at it. Um, So was there anything that you think we've missed? Um, So uh, listeners may not know that how we actually plan our episodes for for this podcast is that you and I just get together like once every month, month and a half, and we sit and we just brainstorm a whole bunch of this is what's going to be important over the next few few months. Um, These are books that are coming out. This is topics, things that we haven't covered that we really should cover. Um, and you know, I, I'm sure that sometimes we're missing things. Um, so is there anything particular you think we've missed? Yeah. I'm just, just going through the list of, of episodes and, and realizing that in, in 79 episodes, we never actually talked to anyone about climate change and foreign policy, uh, or international relations. And that feels like a big, a big whiff we might uh, want you to fix, uh, in the near future. Uh, that's one of them for sure. Um, we also, you know, until last week, I would have I would have added uh, killer robots to that list. Um, though I sort of ca- kind of covered that with Peter Singer uh, last episode, but I think you know artificial intelligence remains something that we may uh, may not have touched quite as much as you know will eventually merit. Um, but uh, what about you? Do you anything we missed that you uh, think you need to hit now? You know, I think in general, I'd say on, on the theme of sort of killer robots. Um, we're a foreign policy podcast. We have not talked as much about weapons systems, defense budgeting, defense procurement as we probably should. Um, those are all just really important topics in this space. And we've sort of, we, we haven't really talked about those as much as we've talked about foreign policy crises. Um, yeah, that's true. And, yeah. you know, it reflects our, our, our own research areas. We are not bombs and rockets scholars ourselves we tend to operate at a somewhat higher level of abstraction with a lot of the stuff we we study and that probably is reflected in some of the topics and books and stuff that we've that we've reached out and 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 had on the show right so it's a good point you push past your own comfort level is probably a good idea you know the other place actually i think where we probably need to do some more work and, and this is kind of my own bias is speaking is we have not covered russia nearly as much as i think we should um other than uh, you know a couple of episodes notably one with matt rajansky pretty early on in our run um we've sort of relegated russia to the the also ran category right we spend a lot of time talking about china a lot of time talking about grand strategy um, and, and Russia just ends up being the, so China and Russia in that conversation. Um, whereas I think Russia is, you know, a, a unique problem when you compare it to China. It's a very different thing. It requires different approaches. And I do worry sometimes that we have sort of fallen into the trap, the Washington trap of its great power competition and Russia and China are the same. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny because I remember when we were just getting started, and we were actually worried about overexposure on Russia issues because, of course, with the whole election, uh, Russia was sort of front and center. But for reasons that we didn't really see as immediately germane 
to a foreign policy podcast, although I think the subsequent events have blurred that line even further. But but yeah, we I think we we started off by staying a little bit away and then we never kind of got back to it. But uh, Russia's fingers are in so many different international uh, situations that there are any number of good episodes out there to touch on you know, Russia and Syria, Russia's energy, foreign policy, Russia's, you know, um, you know, arms control. I mean, there's this sort of all manner of angles uh, about Russia. But, you know, I mean, that sort of reminds me, too, that we I think we had did we hit Africa, the whole continent once, maybe. Um, and certainly there are other things that um, we could have hit there. Uh, and I would think we hit Venezuela once. Um, but again, you know, there are other things we could be talking about um, in terms of U.S. foreign policy uh, further south. So, you know, plenty of, of territory to continue pressing forward on. So I definitely want to come back to sort of the, the relationship between the, the incoherence of the Trump administration and perhaps the slightly scattershot topics that we've covered at some points. Um, but before before we leave this, this Q&A part, um, have any of the episodes that we've taped shifted your opinion? Now, Emma, we, we work at a think tank. We're not paid to change our opinions. We're, we're paid to change other people's opinions. Um, but that having been said, I like to think of myself as a very open-minded person. Uh, and I, I think probably the most important um, effect for me of doing these uh, podcasts has has not been so much changing opinions that I have that are that are fairly well formulated, but it's in discovering issues that are important that I didn't know I needed an opinion on that I was now given a fairly coherent set of you know, considerations for. And so one of them, which, which I should also drop in my, my favorite pod episodes bucket would be our discussion with Todd Harrison about space force. Uh, because, you know, until we had that discussion with Todd, I had, you know, very incoherent notions of what space force was going to be about and what it really would mean. And there had been a lot of, I don't know, kind of, cartoonish coverage of the issues. But when Todd really broke down for us what the emerging issues are with space and the intricate interconnections between satellites and what's happening in space and all sorts of ground-based stuff that's going on, including all the nuclear program stuff, I, I came away really convinced that we need to be much more serious about space. I, I mean, I may not agree with the Trump administration's take on what to do you know, from a strategic standpoint. But I came away much more impressed with how important that is um, than I had ever imagined. So that, I mean, this happened for me on a regular basis. You know, it's really funny. The episode that we did that sort of made me think more seriously about something was an episode we did a couple of years ago with um, your colleague from George Mason, Greg Koblenz. Um, and we had him on to talk about, you know, bioterrorism and biowarfare and all of this, this sexy sounding, you know, our terrorists going to kill us with smallpox stuff. And instead, what he actually kind of convinced me of is that we really should worry about pandemics and natural diseases. And, you know, at the time I thought, oh, this is really interesting. I worry about it a bit more than I did. And from where we're sitting today, you know, it was just positively prescient. Um, yeah. You know, that he, he was basically arguing that, you know, we put everything in this national security lens um, and we don't worry quite as much about sort of the natural threats that are out there. Um, and so so that was one of those episodes where I really wish he hadn't been right. Um, unfortunately, he was. Yeah. 
Yeah, when 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 Greg took over as the director of our graduate program in biodefense at Mason in in 2015, uh, he tried to get the state of Virginia, which um, you know for whatever reason is in charge of such things, um, to allow Mason to change the name of the biodefense program to Global Health Security, and in their infinite wisdom, the state said no for reasons that I remain confused about, but. Again, uh, very prescient because Greg understood, you know, many years ago that this is the trajectory that we're on, that that pandemics are going to be the biggest challenge from the bio side of things, um, you know, and he was sadly correct. So um, obviously our podcast has been effectively inseparable from the Trump administration. We, we started our first episode was... Um, the August of 2017, just about six months into the Trump administration's first year. Um, and we have largely had to mold our uh, our topics, our approach, the issues around what was, uh, quite frankly, uh, an incredibly incoherent approach to, to global politics. Um, but I guess I thought maybe I would ask you, as, as you're heading out, for your thoughts on um, you know, what has actually been important in the Trump administration? You know, we spent a lot of time sort of talking about the issue of the week. Uh, there was there was one time, I believe, where we retaped an episode on North Korea three times as as Trump sort of went back and forward and back and forward on whether he would meet Kim Jong-un. Um, but, but more broadly, you know, it, what is actually going to emerge at the end of the Trump administration, four years, eight years, as the most important issues from during this period? Yeah, that's, you know, the news cycle has been so frustrating to chase uh, as an op-ed writer for the last few years, um, you know, partly because he changes the news agenda so quickly, it's hard to write anything, you know, a day or two in advance, even it's too too early to start writing something, but also because the the tone of everything kept sort of being, oh, Trump this, Trump that. And, and it felt sometimes like we were, were never able to actually dive into issues because the conversation is always about Trump instead of about the issue. Um, so, you know, but, and I guess history will probably have need more time before you can make sort of really sound statements about this. But my guess, my feeling right now is that the big things that I'm going to see as outcomes here is number one, you know, Trump, the, the upside of Trump was that he was going to sort of unmoor or, you know, provoke more debate about foreign policy in the U.S. And and some of us said, well, Trump's terrible, but that at least could be a silver lining. I think that is still true. Um, but I don't I don't know that that means we're in a good place right now. But I think he definitely has unsettled things. So that's one important result. I think, unfortunately, though, a couple of other things. One is that he has, to me, scuttled American collaboration with other countries internationally. I mean, I, I know there's some stuff going on at, you know, sort of the middle layer level, but but he has absolutely, I mean, eviscerated American diplomacy and collaboration on any number of fronts, whether it's trade or health, right, or climate. And, you know, regardless of your position, left, right, center on these things, I, I don't think anyone thinks or at least I don't think very many serious people think the United States shouldn't even be at the table um, helping to push, uh, you know, solutions in the right direction. And so I think that's a serious problem. And I think, you know, I'm not certainly not one of those people who, who thinks, oh, you know, 
the empty throne, the US Trump left the throne empty and now China's going to occupy it or Germany or Russia or or the mob or I know whatever. But but it, it, it's definitely true. We're not sitting at the table trying to be productive. And I think that's a huge problem. And I think the last thing I would say, and we had um, Mark Hanna on uh, a few episodes ago talking about this, but the news, it's kind of a constant drip at this point. Um, I saw another article about this just today in the in the news. Um, international opinion about America has has just dive bombed, and you know Amer- people don't view America. I- I'll tell you the saddest thing I heard. So I have a, a good friend in Switzerland, and his daughter was writing a report for school, and she wrote, "What did you, you know? It was lessons from the coronavirus thing." And she said, "Well, one big thing I learned." Is that I guess Americans only save the day in the movies. Oof, that was brutal. I've rarely heard, I think I might have cried a little bit when I read that because you know, I'm old enough to still sort of be, you know, a little more romantic about American exceptionalism, despite the fact that I study it all the time and I, you know, it's kind of baloney, but like I still in my heart of heart want America to save the day. And I just feel like no one thinks that anymore. And, you know, what we I don't want America to be global cop, but I also want it to be a force for good in the world. And I just it's a, it's sad to me that that the the shine has really come off uh, the U.S. And I and unfortunately I also saw just recently um, there's a poll that's been been done every day actually during the Corona stuff. People getting asked their opinions about you know how things are going, are they going well, going poorly, and how do you think about the United States and American exceptionalism or belief not exceptionalism but but people's ratings of how well the United States is doing on all sorts of different scores has just been plummeting during this pandemic and you know obviously it's a tough time and things will rebound when things aren't so glum um but i but i just feel like there's this confluence of things over the Trump administration and it's all it's all bad is if I'm, if I'm not being clear it's all bad no i don't know how do how do you what, what are the big outcomes here for you? I mean, yeah, well, um, I mean, I have to say it's kind of funny. I've, I've always sort of subscribed to, I think, I think it was a Churchill quote, which is Americans always do the right thing when no other option presents itself. Um, but what you're describing sounds a little like in the Trump administration, and even that may not be true. Um, you know, you know, on sort of the big actual issues, um, I, I agree with you about the sort of abdication of global call it global citizenship, right? I hate leadership as a term, um, but America isn't even being like a good participant anymore. And I, I think, you know, we, we've had a couple of episodes on this, um, but nothing really exemplifies it more than arms control. Um, you know, the Trump administration has pulled us out of basically every existing arms control agreement. I think we've, we've one left at this point and it's going to die pretty soon. Um you know, and, and we've had these conversations with various guests, everybody from sort of our, our own Eric Gomez to, um, you know, to outside scholars um, like uh, Maggie Tennis from Brookings on, on arms control. Um, and everybody basically said the same thing, which is that the U.S. is just leaving the table. We're just taking our ball and going home. And there's there's no real benefit to doing so. Um, so so I think that I find that to be one of the most disturbing long term implications of the Trump administration. Um, the shift within one political party to a foreign policy that's far more about just smashing things and going home than trying to be productive in in any useful way. Um, you know, a couple of other big topics. Um, we've spent a fair amount of time talking about great power competition 
rise of China, the shift to this in the national security strategy. Um, and it, it just seems pretty clear to me that even if Trump himself, um, even if his beef with China is more, I hate the trade relationship and I don't particularly like Asian states, which I think on a personal level is basically where Trump is coming from. His administration has provided a forum for a lot of, of sort of very hawkish advisors that, that have been wanting this for a long time to come in and sort of shape America's approach to China into a much more confrontational one. Um, and even if you think, as, as I do, that China is somewhat a threat to the U.S., this approach is probably not the way we should be doing that. And so, um, you know, and then we get on the other side of the aisle, right, the backlash effect. So Trump does, Trump says something, you know, like we should pull troops of Afghanistan and Democrats say, well, we can't do that because Trump says it. And so I, I just see, you know, a very unproductive foreign policy debate emerging out of this administration. Yeah, I mean, not only has he left his successor whenever and whoever that is a, a worse situation to start from because of his kind of you know zero sum overly hawkish and nationalistic approach to to things but he's also so toxified and polarized debate in dc that you know even agreeing on what a reasonable framework of success is seems impossible i mean it, if you don't have that i don't see how you can agree on a policy and I we just can't even come close to doing that it doesn't look like so so I guess let's let's turn to the global pandemic um and you know we've we've had a couple of episodes recently I'm sure we'll have more in the future of of people talking about how the coronavirus might shape international relations international political economy going forward um and so I guess I thought I'd, I'd ask you you know what changes, if anything, do you expect to actually see out of the, the coronavirus? You know, changes to our grand strategy, changes to our military budgets, changes to the way we approach political economy, um, or, or is this just overblown? I don't think it's going to be overblown. I, you know, I think it will have ripple effects for years, but there is, I think, a serious question to ask about how much of a dent it's going to make in existing sort of budgets and programs, because as we know from looking at defense budgets over decades, they are almost impervious to reality. And so despite, you know, the end of the Cold War, despite the fact that the U.S. is the last person standing and so on, the budgets never sort of went down the way you would have thought they might. Um, and so, you know, we're going to need to spend a lot, it seems like, on pandemic preparedness. Um, although, I, I mean, a second Trump administration wouldn't do that. So I think, you know, if there's a second Trump administration, I wouldn't expect really a dime. I think they'll blow up the CDC and say they improved it, but I don't see they'll spend more. I, but I don't see them thinking the pandemic means anything in terms of the defense budget. A, a, a liberal administration might take some money from some part of the DOD. But, you know, the way the Defense Department spends money, it's kind of hard to just decide to take it today. It's all been encumbered for years to come. So uh, that's a it's just a very good question. That, and again, you know, a second Trump administration isn't going to start collaborating more with the WHO. It's not going to engage, I don't think, international partners to prevent the next one from happening. Certainly isn't going to cooperate with China, it doesn't look like, on preventing things. So, you know, I guess we're in that weird sort of 
to me, scenario where the next administration is a really big issue. Either we have zero change or we might have a lot of change. And I, you know, who knows which one we're going to get. So as you know, I mean, one of the things that we have tried to do in this podcast is bring uh, somewhat of a more restrained or realist flavor into our discussions of, of international relations. And that's, that's largely because of where we sit here at the Cato Institute. Um, but we've also tried to bring in a lot of experts from academia, um, people who talk about various different kind of issues in this frame. Um, and, and I guess the Trump administration has been really interesting from that point of view. You know, he advocated some ideas that we would clearly describe as, you know, more restrained on foreign policy. Um, and there have been some um, realist or restrained aligned scholars who supported those ideas initially. Um, but the administration as a whole has been very incoherent. Um, and so, you know, as, as a sort of a part of your broader um you know, understanding of we could have a lot of change or not very much change. Do you see hope for restraint in the future? I do, but, you know, sort of through a glass darkly, I guess. I mean, I think, again, you know, you have to sort of imagine the fork in the road. Which way are we actually going? Are we, are we going, you know, the polls look like they're in, you know, Biden's favor at the moment, but who knows? And if we go down a Trump second administration route, um, you know, I think that it seems like he only has one mode that he will continue this kind of, you know, I don't know, personality based foreign policy making, which is this bizarre mash of, you know, zero sum thinking and transactionalism and nationalism and xenophobia and all that sort of jazz doesn't seem particularly strategic to me. Um, I, I think, you know, early on in the administration, I, I, I worried about the Hawks. Uh, and they seem to be pushing him, then he fired them all, um, or they all ran away. And so now I'm not so worried about that, although I think, you know, they seem hawkish on China. But so I, I don't think restraint is getting any, you know, sort of high level cover from the Trump administration. I'm clearly, I mean, he may occasionally accidentally do something that's restrained, or, you know, he doesn't start a war just because he didn't think of it. Or because Tucker Carlson persuades him he shouldn't. Yeah. So, so, you know, I don't think that we're getting any help from a Trump second administration. Certainly. Um, and then and then and then unfortunately, I think Biden, you know, from his previous sort of positions on things, as I've measured them through various little uh, attempts, um, is not a particularly restrained person himself on foreign policy. I think he his statements mostly look like a return to kind of the, you know, Clinton sort of Obama. Let's embrace the world in a big hug and make people do what we want them to. Um, and I think, you know, the recipe for getting involved in a lot of sort of well-intentioned but tragic humanitarian intervention is very live with with a Biden, except for the fact that I think that the progressive, you know, part of the Democratic Party has cottoned on that that's not always a very good idea. And so I think there's a lot more momentum for restraint on the Democratic side of things than there used to be. Um, and so, I, you know, I have at least some hope that those arguments um, are going to continue percolating. Uh, on the left. And so I don't know. I mean, it's a good question, though. I I wouldn't handicap it very positively for restraint, though. Well, fingers crossed. Um, okay. Final yeah. question. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be running this, this show myself for a little while moving forward. What is a big topic or a guest um, that you think I should have in a future episode of Power Problems? Or is there a topic you think I should come back to? Oh boy, now that's a that's a great question. Now, give me homework. Uh, 
Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I think climate change, you, you have to put that on the, on the agenda. Um, because I think there are a lot of different strands. I'll, I'll, I'll say a funny story. It's not haha funny, but it anyway, it tells you sort of, I think where the, the, the security studies world has, has gone. When I was in graduate school, way back in the dark ages, uh, there was a student uh, at MIT who was a few years uh, further along in his studies than I and my cohort were uh, by the name of uh, Tad Homer Dixon, uh, who writes about climate change and conflict. And, and, and he doesn't know this because we never met, but, um, but I think a bunch of us were wandering around the office one day and saw a copy of, of one of his chapters or something he was working on relating climate change to conflict. And this is, you know, we're talking 1989 or 90 or something like that. And, and, you know, most of us had never thought of anything like this. And, and I just remember this very vividly. I, and a couple of my friends, we, we looked at that. We just laughed. We're like, what kind of stuff is that? That's just bizarre, weird. Who the, what the hell is that stuff? And now I'm like, well, he was a genius. So, you know, I think maybe you should invite him on and, and have him tell the story of how nobody used to take him seriously and how everyone takes him very seriously. Because um, after a, you know, a long, hard journey, he has really, you know, he mapped out very early on what the potential pathways for conflict might be in terms of how, you know, changing climate, you know, what it's going to change on the ground and water, resource scarcity, all that sort of stuff that I think people now kind of take for granted. He was really a pioneer. So I would, I would certainly suggest him. For one, let's see who else do you need. I, you know, I always felt um, like we we never quite managed to get um, uh, anybody who was uh, incandescently famous. So I think you need to get somebody incandescently famous on uh, soon. That that should be your number one goal. Um, somebody who really uh, throws you know flames. And, Perhaps uh, we could get John Bolton. Absolutely, up. boom. <laughs> Well, thank you, Trevor. So um, that's probably a good note to end on. That's, I'm afraid, all the time we have here. Um, but thank you so much, Trevor, um, not just for being a guest today, um, but for everything you've done for the podcast over the last three years. I'm sure we'll have you back on as a guest at some point, but it's it's been great. Yeah, Emma, thank you. Uh, great working with you. You are a wonderful podcaster, and I really look forward to hearing uh, all the wonderful guests you bring on here in the future and look forward to, to my next chance to be on. Well, thanks to everybody at home for, for listening as well. Um, and thanks to our production team here. We've got Tyler Shanahan, Cecil Sherman, and Lauren Sander helping us out. As always, if you want to continue the conversation, our Twitter handle is at Power Problems. And if you like the show, you can leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. 